This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me start with um, some prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, Thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing soul and spirit, um, getting to the heart of the matter. Sometimes, um, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't want that. And um, in our sin, we push back against what you are exposing in our hearts, Lord. So I pray this morning as we talk about contentment, as we even touch on its evil twin anxiety, and Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and that you would help us realize that the, the, the sharp words that may come from Jesus' mouth or or even from Paul and Philippians, those are all things orchestrated by a loving and kind and gracious father who cares for his children. And and you so much desire for us to have joy and peace and rest in you. So help our hearts not get in the way of that this morning. Lord, help us find our rest and our joy in you as we uh, look at your word this morning. In your name I pray, Amen. amen. So this is kind of part two of our beginning of the year little mini-series, and I feel like over the last few years it's been, uh, you know, helpful for me, hopefully helpful for the church more broadly to take a couple of sermons and sort of consider some things uh, as the church as a whole, and we're calling this particular little mini-series at the beginning of the year our, our conflict and our call, our conflict and our call, and we spent uh, a chunk of time uh, talking about two different religions as, it, as I sort of framed it with our conflict uh, in the last sermon. Um, not, not Maybe a little bit of a spoiler alert, but we had some laughs about a particular workout class that I enjoy. Um, but the, the idea was that in uh, the particular context that Emmaus is in, the, the culture and the air that we breathe, there are essentially two predominant religions for us. There is one, Christianity, as, as we come on Sunday, as we worship, as we read our Bibles, as we exhort and encourage one another, there's one Christianity that's saying joy and peace is actually not found in the things of the world. And worse than that, you're not able to get to it. <laughs> You need someone outside of you, namely Jesus Christ. You need someone outside of you to draw you into the transcendent reality, the, the, the above the temporal things, the, the glory and majesty of a creator who is spirit. Amen. You need someone outside of you to draw you into the place where true joy and peace are found. You can't do it on your own. And there's another religion uh, that we interact with more regularly at work, in the songs we listen to, in the shows that we watch, in the movies that we like, in the workout classes that we go to, and the conversation I had with a painter randomly. There's another religion that says, actually, you can do it. You just need the right tools to make the things work correctly in this world because you're able in and of yourself to find joy and peace in the stuff that's around you. Now look, 
That other religion says, other things get in the way of that, and we want to deal with that. You may not be capable. You just may need to be a little bit equipped. There's some things there. It's, it's, uh, that, there's some caveats even to say, well, the, the religion that the world is proclaiming. But at the end of the day, it's saying, you're capable, and all you need is just some tools around you in this world, and you can find joy and peace. And so that context then is what gives our conflict. We're conflicted. And I, and I tried to say it's not as simple as the people in this room versus the people out there. It's not that simple because we are saturated with that other religion too. You and I regularly believe that we're capable of finding lasting joy and peace with the things in the world. We believe that. We have to kind of come to terms with that a little bit. And in order for us then to be a light out there, it's kind of our call as a church, a city set on a hill, a light in a dark place, in order for us to draw people into the glory and majesty of God, of the God who is spirit that cannot be seen or touched, that's beyond everything in this world, we have to deal with the false religion in here. You and I have to wrestle with the reality that we want to find contentment, we want to find joy, we want to find peace in the things of the world, the stuff we have, the things, the people that we know, in and through our own way. Everything inside of us pushes back against being dependent on God himself. We don't like that. We want to be able to control it. We want to be able to do it. So as a church living in uh, a context that is very much me-centered and this world-centered, our call is to deal with the false religion in here so that we can be, by God's grace, a light out there. So that people that you interact with at work, so that people you climb at the gym with or play hockey with at the ice rink, whatever thing you do, (laughs) will see you and say, you have joy and peace that is Solid. You have joy and peace that's not dependent on the situation that you're in. You seem to have something better, more stable, more glorious than everything that this world has to offer. Yes, Lord. That makes us a light. So as Peter would say, we can explain to them the hope that's within us. So we can say, you're right. This world is crazy sometimes. That's why I don't like looking at the news when I wake up in the morning, you know? It's just like your scroll of depression. It's, it, it tosses you around, and sometimes there's good, and sometimes there's bad, and sometimes there's more bad. And it's hard if, if the things of this world, maybe it's your, your bank account, maybe it's your relationship status, maybe it's uh, how, you know, I got sick last week, and all the progress I made working out in December was gone, <laughs> you know, in just like a week, But because I get tossed to and fro if I'm going to rest, if I'm going to place, if I'm going to follow the religion of the world and have my joy and peace rest in those things. Like everybody else, I'm going to go up and down with my circumstances. And what Christianity is saying, what Jesus is saying is, Jesus is saying, I am capable of bringing you up to the unchanging glory and majesty of the eternal God where there's peace and joy that don't change because God doesn't change. And we talked about 
a couple of things. I mentioned last week, there are two things that get in the way. And this morning, we're gonna spend our time on the second thing. But briefly, the first thing, if we're gonna, if we're gonna sail up to the, to the joy and peace that's found beyond this world in, in the Lord himself, if we're gonna sail upwards towards that, we talked a little bit last week about spiritual worship. And the gist of what I was saying is that going through the motions of singing here, reading your Bible, doing the prayer thing, being nice to your neighbor, going through the motions is exactly not what God wants from you. He wants you to desire to worship him. Like need that, want that. Let's be from, from deep down. He wants, we call it spiritual worship. He wants you to be repulsed at your sin, not kind of enjoy it because it is fun and our hearts are bent towards it. He wants to change deep down your affections in here so that your worship, so that the way you live your life isn't a matter of this, that, and the other thing because this is how God wants it to be and now it just fits into what I have planned for my day and we're all good. He wants your affections, your thoughts, your heart, everything about who you are to be centered around his glory and majesty. He wants spiritual worship, worship that comes from inside of us and can't help but express itself in prayer, in singing and praising God, in thanksgiving, in grace and kindness and love for other people because something is changing deep down in here. He wants spiritual worship. And I said, if spiritual worship is the sail that, that draws us up to heaven and, and gives us a glimpse of the, the peace and joy that's found in God himself, then the anchor that sort of rips us back down to earth is discontentment. The anchor that keeps us from enjoying the presence and the beauty and the glory of God is discontentment. It doesn't matter how full your sails are of spiritual worship. If you're not content, if you're discontent, you get ripped right back down to earth. <laughs> and you miss out on the joy and peace that is found in God. When you're discontent, you're already thinking like that other religion. So the, I have the definition of, of contentment. It should be on the screen, but it's super easy if it's not. It's a state of satisfaction. A state of satisfaction. Oh, maybe I don't have it on the screen. Oh, that was from last week. <laughs> All right, well, we don't have to worry about the slides for this morning. Um, contentment is a state of satisfaction. Think about that. Not like that is satisfying. It's a state of satisfaction. Contentment. I'm in a state. Who I am is satisfied. It's contentment. We're going to look at Philippians and see how Paul describes this idea of contentment. But before we go there, I'm curious what... Think for a second and say, when am I in a state of satisfaction? When am I content? 
I don't know why, but the first thing that came to my mind was like, when JJ naps. <laughs> so, <laughs> I enjoy him. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, because I'm just like, ah, oh. you know, I don't have to like. <laughs> or I go to my to-do list at the end of the day and I get to check like basically everything off. Just like, whew, nailed it. I'm ready. I'm ready to do the next thing. And maybe you're saying, Aaron, I'm not ever in a state of satisfaction. Um, that's my life right now. And we can pose the question in an opposite way. What is it that pulls you out of the state of satisfaction? What makes you discontent? I mean, for some of us, it's reliving some decision we made in the past that got us to where we are today. <laughs> and we'll think about it and we'll mull it over and we're like, what if? It could have been this way. It could have been this. And we consider something we've, we've done or said. Maybe it's just a conversation and you're just like spinning about it after that. It takes us out of a state of satisfaction because we're spinning about the thing in the past. It goes forward too. Like, what if this happens? Jesus says today has enough anxiety of its own. <laughs> Don't worry about tomorrow. Because he's saying he knows what we do. It's like we think about the future and we say, well, if, if this doesn't fall through this way or if this doesn't plan out this way, and we start in our heads, we start to spin about all these things that are kind of going on. And when that happens, we are no longer in a state of satisfaction. <laughs> we're anxious. Or we're just down. You know, that can go a handful of different ways for different people. Be angry. In Philippians, it's interesting what Paul says. And I, I read the verse in Matthew because I, I like when it comes straight from Jesus' mouth. And here we have Paul kind of saying the same thing. In chapter 4, Verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And again, kind of repeating the words of Jesus in verse six, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And I looked, um, that's not just a, 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 what in grammar, it's an indicative statement where it's just like anxiousness shouldn't happen. It's a command. It's an imperative. He's saying, no, seriously, I'm telling you, don't be anxious about anything. Sorry, like, talk about like the hardest law in the Bible maybe for like, whoa, okay, that's going to, anything, Paul, don't be anxious about anything. And I thought it was fascinating to me that in Old English, in the, New, in the King James Version, uh, they actually translate that word, don't care about anything. You're like, wow. <laughs> and, I, and, and there's some, the, 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 the word behind it has this sense of like overly care where it just like tears you up inside, which is why I think we now translate that anxious. It's a word that, word that we use in our English Standard Bible. But he's saying the same thing Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything. 
I think it's a difficult reality to think about the fact that our anxiety about things is offensive to God. Like that makes me more anxious about my anxiousness. (laughs) That's kind of over the top. I think what Jesus is saying, what Paul is encouraging us as he tells us to rejoice in the Lord always, is that if we want to find joy and peace in our transcendent, holy, amazing God who never changes, every time we start spinning about something in the world that's not, that's making us discontent, that's pulling us out of this state of satisfaction, we're living the false religion. Every time. God hasn't changed. He doesn't love you any less. He hasn't taken back his son off the cross. He hasn't changed anything about your eternal destiny with him. Every time we start spending and caring for something in this world, pulls us out of that state of satisfaction and we're discontent. For all practical purposes, we're stopped following the Christian religion. We're living like everybody else in the world. And we're saying my joy and peace is dependent on the things in this world that I ever thinking about, I'm worried about, I did or I didn't do. So of course God would not want that for us. Of course he would have harsh words to say about that. Jesus died and rose again as we look at the whole story of the Bible to reunite mankind with our creator, to to bring us back into the presence of God. The, the, The separation from God and man that ruined everything and that makes everything as miserable as it is from the fall is because of the rebellion of Adam or And the second Adam now comes and restores that relationship. So of course Jesus would say, as soon as you start worrying about the things of the world, you're ignoring what I came to do. I came to restore the relationship between God and man so that there could be joy, so that there could be peace, so that there could be changed hearts and love that that begin to take shape and affect everything in the world. But if you're focusing on the world and saying this is the problem, you're ignoring what Jesus has done. Discontentment is like an anchor that rips us back down to earth and takes us away from that that spiritual worship, that joy and peace that comes from God alone. Uh, In Philippians 4, we'll go back to Philippians 4 in verse 10, kind of jump down a little bit, because Paul Paul said some really uh, hard-to-hear things, like the reality that our anxiety is also a sin against the Lord. It's a command, and I'll be anxious. So he gives a a personal sort of uh, testimony or experience, because Paul's been through some stuff, you know, we could flip to the, 
part where he just talks about all the like beatings and stonings and how many times he'd been left for dead. You know, he's been through some rough things. He's not saying these things kind of without suffering and experiencing difficulty on his own. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord, which is what he asked them to do. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, you have revived your concern for me. He's like, I'm really encouraged that you guys were very encouraged, for, like concerned for me. Like it means a lot to me. I'm thankful for that. You were in, indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's like, you knew I was suffering, probably in prison. And he's like, you knew I was suffering and you, were, you, were, you wanted to help. You wanted to come resolve the difficulties that I'm going through. You, you would care for me and that meant a lot to me and I was thankful for that. But look at what he says afterwards. He says in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, that's a lot of things, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's saying, I appreciate that you wanted to relieve my suffering. That me actually rejoice in the Lord because of your affections for me. It was encouraging to me. But he's saying, regardless of what you could or couldn't do for me, I've actually learned in every situation to be content. To be content. An encouraging part about that verse for me is that Paul had to learn it. <laughs> like Paul had to learn. He didn't say like, hey, I'm, I'm always content, guys. Like, don't worry about it. It's easy for me. It's no big deal. This is the apostle Paul who got taught by Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, had all kinds of cool visions and stuff. Got to see miracles happen, like no one's business. And he's saying, man, I had to learn this just didn't come naturally. This was not my default setting. <laughs> that encourages me. If Paul had to work through this, if Paul had to learn contentment, if Paul had to learn to be in a state of satisfaction, whether he was in hunger or need, then that should be encouraging to us. That it's okay. God is aware that we struggle, that we're anxious, that we're down, that we're often pulled away and are not discontent. He knows that. We're not surprising him. He knows that we care often more for the things of the world than what his son has done in uniting us back into the presence of God. That, that's why he came and died and rose again. And that's why we celebrate communion where we say his, this is his body. This is his perfect contentment that he lived out every day of his life in a state of satisfaction given to you. And God loves you and treats you that way. So it's something we have to learn. We have this built-in anchor that drags us back down to the ground 
when we try to worship and we try to pray, we try to sing songs and we try to enjoy that never changing joy and peace that comes from our holy God. Built into us, we have this anchor that just rips us right back down to the ground and forces us to see the world through this false religion that the things in the world are ultimately what's gonna make us find peace and joy. So to learn to deal with that anchor. <laughs> that's, the, that's the default reality is that we have that. So now as Christians, as a, as a Christian church in Denver, you and I have to learn to deal with that anchor. <laughs> we have to learn to recognize when our contentment is gone and something in this world has pulled us back down and kept us from enjoying the joy and peace that comes from God. So how do we learn that? How do we learn to deal with being discontent? So we can have contentment. How do we learn? I think the first thing we have to do is admit it. (laughs) Like come to terms with it. Confess is the Bible word. (laughs) Share your discontentment with someone you love and trust. I'm sure in your GC, your spouse, a friend. But don't share it to whine about it. (laughs) We like to share our discontentment. (laughs) You know, you can all think of things that annoy us and find other people to commiserate in. (laughs) Share it to confess that it's offensive to the Lord. Share it to acknowledge that's where you shouldn't be. That's what we don't like to share. That's harder. I was thinking, um, I just, this, is, this is embarrassing for me to say. I was thinking about contentment like a few weeks ago. I was like gearing up for what to read and thinking about the sermon. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm pretty content. <laughs> like, you know, there's things I want to be different about my life, but generally I'm a pretty half full kind of guy. I'm pretty content. And I feel super embarrassed saying that now because I'm like, anytime you preach about a topic, you need to, like, anyone that's guest preached has been like, when you preach about that, know that God will deal with you on that, you personally. And I spent some time praying about it and thinking about it, and I... I think I was just totally blind to the discontentment that I have in my like daily and hourly moments in my life. Like I'm happy with genuinely where I'm at in the broad scale of things, right? Like I'm thankful for my wife. We finally have a little kid that's a lot of fun. I enjoy this church a ton. Like this has been my most favorite job ever. Like if I go broadly here, But then when JJ gets sick and I have to uh, go pick him up from school, I am not content. (laughs) Like if we zoom in on like what I'm doing that day and that hour, man, I am discontent all the time. (laughs) And I'm not thinking about God and his glory and peace that's coming from him. I'm thinking about whatever just got messed up right there in the moment. And I was like, where is all this discontentment coming from? And you know what I landed on? That, that sort of like breeds discontentment in me every mo- every day with these like smaller things. 
is this stupid thing. It reminds me of who I'm not serving that texted me that I haven't gotten back with. It reminds me of the emails I haven't responded to. It reminds me of the list of things I want to do. It reminds me of my workout goals I don't have or haven't completed. It reminds me of the stuff online that I want to learn and haven't learned yet. It reminds me of everything about this world that I don't have yet that I want. And when I get so overwhelmed with that, I use it to ignore all those things too. It's crazy to me how much my phone breeds discontentment in my life in an, like an hourly basis. I don't like that. And I don't know what that is for you. We probably all have like a phone thing, you know, that we swirl about we're not happy with. Could be something about ourselves. Could be something about our life. Could be something about our church. We kind of have a thing that just breeds discontentment. Think about how much that thing keeps you from having peace and joy in God himself. trying to say, how do we deal with that anchor (laughs) that rips us back down to earth? The first thing I said was just confess it. Not to find someone else to complain about it with. But if you're a little embarrassed when you're confessing something, you're on the right track. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel about that. If you're excited to confess something, you might need to go back to the Lord and pray about that a little bit. Another thing to remember that's important as we deal with this anchor is to remember the character of God. This is really important. To remember the character of God. Amen. God is the one who has brought this thing into your life. That's making, God is the one who got my kids sick and ruined my day so that I could go pick them up and deal with whatever there was, you know? God is the one that has me 80, you know, this many text messages deep that I need to respond to that are all not simple issues, you know? God is the one who has brought these things into my life. And if the only thing I think about him is that he brings those things into my life, I'm gonna start to think he's kind of a jerk. I'm gonna view him in a way that's wrong. That, that's built, that's just like the anchor that brings us down, it's built into our hearts to reflect the things happening in this world inappropriately on the character of God. We, we sang it this morning. You are altogether good. This thing makes me discontent. I'm not worried about this future reality. I hate this about myself. You created me this way, God. You are all together good. You're all together good. If we want to begin to deal with our discontentment that drags us back down, we have to remind ourselves of the character of God. 
we have to believe that he's perfectly wise and that whatever he did or however he made you or whatever situation he's not clarifying for you is because he loves you and is wise and is orchestrating this exactly according to his plan. I think it's, you know, maybe I'll speak for myself coming from like a real um, God sovereignty kind of Calvinistic upbringing. Um, it's easy to think about God being in control of everything and thinking of him as like a really smart robot or something, you know, like he just like, he's got every contingency plan like figured out. So no matter what I do, he's already like, that's what I was gonna do anyways, you know, like sort of like this like fake thing and like impersonalize him. And maybe another error is to think we think about God's sovereignty and that he's in control, that he's working out all these things in our life. And we begin to think he's kind of like annoyed with us. Like, just keep failing again. So of course God would bring this thing that is, you know, annoying, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I won't do it again, you know. We we reflect on his character, something about him that's inappropriate. And, And I think we can ask the question, if we have this sovereign God, if we have this all-powerful God, if we have this all-wise God, how in the world can we like imagine who he is? Like what, what is his character like? Jesus, gentle, lowly, patient, never in a hurry, meticulous, caring, willing to die for you. Jesus is revealing God to us. He's showing us through the gospels how we should imagine who he is because that's who he is. Amen. <laughs> He's the exact imprint of his nature. So in, anytime you're thinking about the character of God who is sovereignly orchestrating all these things in your life, put that through the filter of what you know about Jesus. And if those things don't match, you're not thinking about God properly. The same God that would subject himself to the broken things of the world, the same God that spoke the universe into existence and would be questioned by someone like Pilate about how great he is, the same God that displays his glory and his majesty and his beauty through when we driving into church this morning the mountains were amazingly white and the sky was blue and things were glorious the same God that would just display his character in such a majestic way is the same God who is willing to be ripped apart stripped naked and hung on a cross that's the character of God that's brought these things into your life. So we said, confess. We said, remember the character of God. And kind of the final thing is remember the promises of God. Remember the promises of God. Amen. He has promised. I know we kind of hate this verse a little bit, especially when we're suffering, but you know, probably reveals more about our heart than the verse itself. He has promised to work everything out for good to those who love him. Amen. He's promised that. 
And that the good that he's promising to work out is defined in the very next verse where he basically says to transform us into the image of his beloved son. He's working in all of these things because he's promised that those who he would call, he would sanctify and he would glorify. He's promised to unite you to his son and orchestrate every little tiny detail of your life, including the things you hate the most about your life, especially the things you hate the most about your life, to transform you and shape you into the image of Jesus. He's doing that even when you're discontent. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's promised to be with you. He's given you the promised Holy Spirit so you could understand the things of the Lord. Jesus has promised to make intercession in the heavenly temple for you regularly, always making intercession. He's praying for you when you're not. He's promised you eternal life. He's promised you a new creation. I mean, think about when we're discontent with something in this world. We say often that it's broken and it's messed up and it's painful. So it's like the best thing we could even like muster up here in this world, how would it compare to the new creation where there's no sin, there's no brokenness, no death, no disease, just the presence of God in a creation beyond what we can imagine for eternity. That's what he's promised. And he's promised to give you a taste of that, that new creation reality in the person and work of Jesus. He's enthroned today, ruling and reigning, bringing these circumstances into your life that make you discontent. Your heart makes you discontent. But he's bringing these circumstances He's putting every enemy under his foot because he is the new creation. He's what you and I get to enjoy for all eternity. He's what we will become. How do we deal with that anchor? <laughs> Remember, we're talking about the conflict. There's two religions. Joy and peace is found in the Lord, and we need his help. His word, or joy and peace is found in the world, and you just need a little bit of help, and you can probably make that work. Never mind the fact that that puts the burden entirely on you and often leads to more anxiety and depression. But that's what's being taught. And if that's the context, then if we want to be a light out there because we're dealing with that false religion in here, we need to examine our hearts and we need to spiritually worship. We need to have 
a, a strong desire to see things changed in here so that we could really go through some things and step out and say, but I have peace and joy in God. He hasn't changed. This kind of is terrible, you know? Jesus was honest about that. Like, life is hard. But he said, I'm telling you all these things in John so that you would have the joy that I have. That you would have access to the Father. But with, and then with this anchor that just pulls us down, this, this discontentment, this, we were ripped out of our, our state of satisfaction in the Lord. We have to learn to recognize that. <laughs> or we'll have the sails up going nowhere. <laughs> We have to learn to recognize when the things of this world, as difficult as some of them are, make us dissatisfied, make us discontent. And confess that. Confess that in a way that's a little embarrassing. And remember the character of God. It's Jesus. Gracious, kind, gentle, lowly, patient, loves little kids, just like the nicest dude. You can't read the Gospels and not think that. That's the God that has sovereignly brought you the things that make you discontent. And remember the promises. Remember the promises. So many. And I really believe how that fleshes itself out at Emmaus with our community or your particular gospel community, I don't know. I don't know. But I can say with all the confidence in the world, if you begin to find joy and peace in things that are not of this world, you're gonna stand out. Amen. You're gonna look different. People are gonna wonder. And you're gonna have opportunities to be a light out there. You're gonna be able to go to your friend and say, man, this is painful. That's why I have something better. You're right, I don't know what's gonna happen over here. But let me tell you about promises that aren't gonna change, that bring true joy and peace. Amen. I struggle with discontentment because I get sucked into it too. But God loves me, cares for me, and I can be honest about that. And he wants to change everything inside of me. And we're having this conversation because I think he could change you too. That's crazy. <laughs> but I genuinely believe if we deal with the false religion in here, in our hearts, in our families, in our gospel communities, in our church, God will set us up to be a light out there. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am amazed at your patience with us. Lord, I, um, you, you are using kid gloves. You're, you're, you're careful with us. You, um, you work to bring conviction. The, the Holy Spirit, the helper, it's better that he comes so that we could be convicted of, of our sin. We could be convicted of the righteousness and the glory and the majesty that's found in you, that we could have discernment, Lord, uh, to see through just the false religion of our hearts, of the things around us, Lord. You, um, 
You, you have called us because you are determined to sanctify and glorify us. Lord, I pray that that promise that you love us and are working these things out for our good in our lives would, would give us a measure of wisdom to recognize when we're discontent and to turn our affections and our hearts away from the worldly things that will never fill that hole and up towards you. We desperately need your help for that. Lord, I pray that you would do that, and I know that you will, because Jesus is on his throne, and he's reigning, and uh, he's all-powerful, and he's accomplished everything, and he has been given the Spirit, and he's poured it out in the world. So I look forward to seeing how you will continue to transform our hearts so that we could be a light in the world around us. Encourage us with your work, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.